progressive, respectful, mentoring, compassionate. These are the values of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. And now we proudly present Palmdale Regional Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. If you feel pain, stiffness in your body, or have trouble moving around, you might have arthritis. If this pain is starting to affect your quality of life, you may look to non-surgical options to help you. My guest today is Dr. Alan Antebi. He's an orthopedic trauma surgeon and a member of the medical staff at Palmdale Regional Medical Center. Dr. Antebi, define arthritis for us because it's really got such a large definition. Narrow it down a little bit for us. Sure. So arthritis is probably one of the most common uh, diagnoses an orthopedic surgeon uh, would make, uh, both in the uh, the clinical uh, setting as well as in the hospital. It's probably the number one reason why most patients go see uh, an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, when you make the diagnosis of arthritis, patients are like, ah, it's just arthritis, but they really don't know what that means. So there's different forms of arthritis. The most common form of arthritis here, at least in the United States, is osteoarthritis. The second most common form is what we call inflammatory arthritis, and that goes into different variations of inflammatory arthritis. And the most common form of that is rheumatoid arthritis, which uh, most patients are aware of. But there are other forms as well such as uh, lupus. Uh, People with lupus can get inflammatory arthritis as well. So osteoarthritis is the most common reason and the most common type and form of osteoarthritis. This is a type of arthritis where you get from essentially wear and tear. However, you can also get arthritis from having a previous trauma. So if you're 18 years old and Uh, you tear your ACL in your knee and having needing a reconstruction or a surgery for it, or even if you don't have surgery for it, the biomechanics of that knee will not be the same as God designed it. And then therefore, in the future, 10, 15, 20 years later, that knee will become arthritic from a trauma that you sustained 20 years ago. But most people don't have trauma to their joints. It's just wear and tear. And a lot of it has to do with the design of their joints. So even though you may look at a person and look at they have a hip and they have a knee and they have a shoulder, they may not necessarily be designed anatomically perfect. It's kind of like the analogy when I give a patient when they buy a car from the factory. If one of the tires is not perfectly mounted and perfectly balanced, instead of that tire being lasting 20 or 30,000 miles, it'll only last 5,000 miles because the tire wasn't mounted right. And it's the same thing with a human body. If the, if the joint was not designed perfectly, there'll be early wear and tear because most people put about anywhere between eight to 10,000 steps a day when they just walk and, and live their life. So previous injury, wear and tear, autoimmune for rheumatoid, is there a genetic component to either any of the types of arthritis? Is one more likely to have that genetic component? And do other things like weight, obesity, you know, bone density, do any of these contribute to an arthritic situation as well? Sure. So, uh, you know, I think genetics uh, definitely plays a role in it, but there's really no scientific proof. For example, I'll see, you know, a patient who's in her 60s and and come in with arthritis of the knee and the hip, and then she'll say, oh, yeah, it must be genetic because my mom had, you know, two hip replacements and knee replacement. So, uh, you know, there's really no hardcore genetic component, 
However, you know, one of the conditions that we used to call congenital hip dysplasia, which is a formation of uh, a bad forming hip, which later leads to arthritis in the hip. Now we don't call it congenital. We call it developmental, meaning something that you may have developed in utero while you were sitting in your mom's womb in a, in a funny position, which caused your hip not to form right. And then, you know, 20, 30 years later, we realized that you had it. And now you develop arthritis because the joint wasn't necessarily formed correctly. Uh, obesity, again, obesity does not necessarily cause arthritis. Uh, it's the same thing, like I said before, uh, the analogy, if uh, you know you have a truck uh, uh, and, and the tire is not mounted right on the truck, and now you added 5,000 pounds of bricks for that truck to carry. So uh, it'll definitely cause the tire to wear out sooner, but you are already biomechanically uh, at a disadvantage having the extra weight. So we definitely see earlier arthritis in heavier people just because they're carrying more weight. The body wasn't designed to carry an extra 50 pounds or 100 pounds your whole life. And if you do, then you will develop arthritis earlier. Then let's get right into some of the first line of defense. If somebody's got it in their hip or their knee, maybe they tore their ACL or they have some reason that they've got arthritis, as you've described, What's the first line of defense? Are you looking to medicational intervention? Do you ice, brace, heat? What modalities do you like, Dr. Antebi? Sure, sure. A lot of it depends on the degree of arthritis and the age. So, you know, the first thing we need to do is we need to do a clinical exam, get the history from the patient. You know, have they been having pain for a month or is this something that's been gone for a long time? So we would work up uh, you know, a diagnosis as to how bad this is. So the first thing, the mainstay, is getting an x-ray in the office. Let's, let's get the x-ray and let's see how much space you have in your joint, whichever joint that is, whether it's the hip, the knee, or the shoulder. It could even be a hand or a finger or whatever it is. So we would first get an x-ray. And if we, so most of the time, we can diagnose arthritis on an x-ray. If not, then at that point, we get to more fancier modalities like uh, MRI or uh, CAT scans. Now, once we diagnose the arthritis, a lot of it depends on your symptoms. Is this something that bothers you once a week? It only bothers you when you exercise or it just bothers you every day with every step? So we kind of have to get the degree of how bad this is bothering you. And have you tried anything at home? Have you tried putting ice? Have you tried putting heat? Have you tried taking over-the-counter Tylenol or ibuprofen to help your pain? Uh, and depending on what the patient says and where they're coming from will depend on what we would do. So if they have not started anything at all and we diagnose them with arthritis, then we can talk about activity modification. We can talk about <clears throat> weight loss. If they need to, uh, to uh, have some weight loss, we can talk about uh, uh, different foods that they eat, in addition to starting some baseline medication like an anti-inflammatory medication. So we would try those things, give it a month or two, and then see how they respond. They would come back for another visit, and then at that point, if their pain is not any better, we can proceed to different modalities. Now, if they come in and now they're in their 60s or 70s and their arthritis has been lingering for several years and they've tried all this other stuff that we talked about, like uh, over-the-counter brace, medication over-the-counter, uh, they've tried weight loss, they've tried physical therapy, and nothing helps, at that point we can talk about doing injections. And there's various forms of different treatments, again, these are non-operative treatments, uh, that we can uh, perform in the office, and we can talk about those as well. 
So let's do that because people hear cortisone injection in my shoulder, but they then, oh, I can only get one every six months. And speak about the different types of injections, doctor, and what sure. when it's appropriate to have, whether it's platelet-rich plasma or cortisone or, you know, whether you're doing immunotherapy, whatever it is, speak about these different types of injections and when they're appropriate to be used. Sure. So uh, the, the first uh, line of injection would be, uh, you know, cortisone. It's, it's something that's relatively inexpensive, and it usually does work. But you're putting something artificial into the joint, and it's there as a potent anti-inflammatory to help the pain in that joint. It doesn't work for everybody, and each person may have a different response. So it may work for, you know, six months in one patient and only six days in another patient. And we never know what kind of response each patient will have. So I usually suggest trying it and see if it helps. And also the degree of arthritis. Does somebody have, you know, a stage, you know, what I say, you know, 10 out of 10, or are they a 2 out of 10? So the person that has less arthritis may respond better than the person has who has more severe arthritis. So cortisone is, is an option. Now, in regards to, you know, how many times we can do it, well, I always tell patients, you know, if you have pain today and we inject your knee and you respond and you get four or five months out of it, it's worth trying again in the future. However, if you only get three or four day response of pain relief, I would not try it again. So a lot of the modalities that we use and reuse depend on how the patient responded the first time. Now, moving on from cortisone, there's also a medication called viscosupplementation. Viscosupplementation looks like a clear gel that we inject. It's hyaluronic acid. There's various companies on the market that make this medication. And then depending on the medication, sometimes we do three injections, five injections, and now there are some uh, formularies where you only do one injection of this type of uh, medication. And uh, the Academy of Orthopedics, which is our kind of like governing body of orthopedic surgeons, uh, recently came out with a large uh, multi-center study that basically shows that this stuff is no better than placebo. So whether you get it or not, it doesn't really matter because it really doesn't help. So now a lot of insurance companies are backing away from having to pay for these medicines. However, I still use them uh, for uh, patients who are, hey, this is what I want, and and we try it again and, you know, uh, try the three shots. And if they get better, great. If not, then we have to move to the next step. So what is the next step? So after cortisone and viscosupplementation, now we're kind of dealing with a whole different type of uh, uh, treatments. And a lot of these treatments are not covered by insurance companies. And this is where we get into kind of like regenerative therapy, if you will. There's a lot of studies out there. You can, you can find studies that shows that it works or doesn't work. And the first thing is PRP. PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma. This is a procedure that initially came out where it was mainly meant for injecting, you know, tendons, soft tissue, epicondylitis, Achilles tendonitis, shoulder tendonitis. And now people are injecting and using it for various modalities like osteoarthritis, or people are using it for hair rejuvenation and erectile dysfunction. I mean, it's all over the place. Uh, This is usually a cash pay in the office. Uh, It's a procedure where we take the person's blood in the office and we put it in the centrifuge and we're able to separate the various components of the blood. And what we're looking for is the platelet-rich plasma portion of the blood. It comes into a concentrated bullet of several cc's 
and then we inject that into the specific area where the person has pain. I've been doing this procedure now for approximately two years in the office and uh, definitely have seen a, a pretty amazing response with patients. Again, it's not a panacea. It's not something that we every patient responds to, but I've definitely seen better clinical results than the first two things that we talked about, which is cortisone and the visco supplementation. Now, uh, do you have any other questions? I Well, I do. I just want to know where you feel nutrition because people have heard about chondroitin and they've heard about omega-3s and, you know, eating plenty of fatty fish. Is there anything that we do eating-wise? People have even said that pineapple is a great anti-inflammatory. Do you ever, do your patients ever ask you about various nutritional or alternative kinds of supplements? Yes, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of data out there. You know, you, you, one thing in medicine, you can find anything in medicine to support anything that you want, and then you can find something in medicine to counteract that. You know, a study as well. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk out there on, uh, for example, the the consumption of cinnamon, turmeric acid. Uh, 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 you know, supplementation uh, in addition to the use of uh, chondroitin and uh, glucosamine. Uh, what I tell patients is this. I'm like, listen, you know, if you're willing to spend the money and try something for, you know, a month and, and see if you get the clinical results. But what ends up happening is, you know, sometimes patients will take, you know, two or three things. They'll take the turmeric, they'll take the cinnamon, they'll take the chondroitin, and they may feel better, but we don't know which component of those things actually uh-huh. worked. Or is it, again, another placebo? Just because they waited a month taking something, if they wouldn't have taken anything and waited a month, would they have gotten better? You know what I'm saying? Yes. So we really never know. But I definitely don't advise not to take them. These are considered medical foods. They're not really medications per se. You don't need a prescription for these. And, you know, a lot of people just don't like taking medicines. They don't like taking pills. And they, they do look for alternative treatments. Uh, the other thing that's really on the market right now, which is, you know, costing uh, people, depending on where you go, like, for example, I'm very close to Los Angeles and Santa Monica, and people are getting stem cell treatments. And these stem cells could either come from fat, your bone marrow, or placental tissue. And again, there's really no hard data to show that any of this stuff works. But when people are desperately in pain, they'll pay anything to try to get out of pain if they can afford it and to try to do something that's non-operative. Uh, but again, there's no hard data to show that any of this stuff works. I mean, people who are selling this stuff will tell you it's the next best thing. However, you know, there are a lot of you know financial incentives to selling these things. So people need to really go into this with caution and their eyes wide open. And doctor, wrap it up for us because you are just such an amazing guest and you you teach us so well about these things. Give us a little wrap up about arthritis and non-surgical treatments and when it's really time to come see an orthopedic surgeon to, to discuss some of these options. Sure. So arthritis is probably the most common reason why somebody would have joint pain in this country. Uh, I think, uh, you know, with with the use of, uh, like you said earlier, diet, exercise, weight loss, and then simple over-the-counter anti-inflammatory. This is something you can do at home before you ever see a doctor. If a month goes by and your pain is still persistent, 
Uh, at that point, I would make an appointment to see an orthopedic surgeon, and at that point, you can get worked up and start these other modalities, uh, including uh, you know prescribed medications as well as injections. Surgery should always be your last option. If a doctor offers you an option for non-operative treatment with an injection, whether it costs money or not, if you can afford it or not, I would try that first before proceeding to any surgical intervention. Thank you so much, Dr. Antebi. A pleasure. As always, you're listening to Palmdale Regional Radio. For more information, please visit palmdaleregional.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.